Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss The Huntsman, Winter's War. Sebastian and I'm here with Jennifer. Hello. It's just the two of us again. Just the two of us. Uh, life has uh, made things difficult to coordinate with other people. So for at least a couple of weeks, it's probably just going to be you and me, darling. I'm okay with that. You know, there's worse things to do than talk about movies with your husband, right? I think so. Are there worse things to do than talk about Huntsman Winter's War? The movie we'll be discussing on this episode? There's definitely worse things to talk about than the Huntsman's Winter's War. Well, now this is a movie that a lot of people feel doesn't exist because nobody really remembers this movie coming out, I don't think. I didn't remember this movie coming out. Yeah, it really came and went with a Winter's Whimper (laughs) back in 2016. This was the sequel to the Snow White and the Huntsman film, Mm -hmm. which came out in 2012. That was directed by Rupert Sanders, and it was well-received and made quite a bit of money at the box office. And uh, you and I saw that in the theater with our friends uh, John and Deb. Um, How do you remember feeling about the movie when we saw it back in 2012? I liked it. I remember liking it. I liked it too. I mean, it wasn't the kind of thing that blew me away or anything, but I appreciated the sort of darker, more gritty, I guess you'd say, take on the Snow White tale. It uh, famously starred Kristen Stewart as well as Chris Hemsworth, who's reprising his role in this film, as well as Charlize Theron, who uh, really vamped it up as the evil queen. The wicked queen. But yeah, no, I remember it had some good production design. It looked good, had some fun special effects. Again, not a movie that blew me away or anything, but I definitely enjoyed it as a fantasy film. Yeah, I remember liking it. I don't think I ever watched it again, but I enjoyed seeing it in the theater. And I I mean, I just love Charlize Theron, so... I'm totally here for it. How do you feel about Chris Hemsworth? Oh, I'm a fan of his too. I think he's great. I mean, we just got to enjoy him in Thor, Love and Thunder. That's correct. And he's a delight. And I mean, he's he's good in this too. And and I'm a fan of K-Stew. Yes. So there was a lot 
to bring me into the theater to see that. Now, Kay Stu was riding high off of the Twilight Saga, and I think they were trying to get that Twilight audience into the theater for that movie, which I think they were successful in doing. After that, I feel like she sort of distanced herself more and more from those kind of roles. Mm -hmm. Although people probably remember that movie being a romance between Kristen Stewart and Chris Hemsworth. That's not the case. No. He is more of her protector in that film. She has a romance with the Sam Kathleen character Mm -hmm. who makes a brief appearance in this movie. The connections to Snow White in this movie are, shall we say, small and <laughs> tenuous. Yes. I mean, we, we get, I think, one scene with her prince. Yes. And then we get, I think, two total scenes of not K-Stu shot from behind. I wouldn't even call them scenes. No. They're like shots. shots. Yeah, just shots. Not even scenes. You're right, because it's just images of her supposedly, from behind, and it's so not her. No. Now, there is a reason for this, obviously. Case Stu did not want to return. Once Snow White and the Huntsman came out and made a bunch of money, they immediately wanted to greenlight a sequel, but there had been something of a scandal on the set of Snow White and the Huntsman. Kristen Stewart had an affair with Rupert Sanders, the director. I think I kind of remember this. Yes, and it was during the time that she was supposedly with Robert Pattinson. Oh, boy. The truth of whether or not she and Robert Pattinson were really that involved has sort of become questionable over the years. It seems like one of those things where they wanted to make it seem like they were involved to the movie right to make the movie even more sellable Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know if k stew and r pats really had the uh, fairy tale romance that the trades or whatever painted them out to be i think they were really just good friends but r pats did kind of act like he was hurt by this affair but i kind of doubt it that he really was no i think this was just the whole edward and bella like trying to hype that up. If anything, it was bad because of Rupert Sanders's wife. Well, yeah, he was married. That's the real crime here. It was sort of a bad scene. And so Kastu said she didn't want to come back and the studio didn't want Rupert Sanders to come back. So they ended up going with another director, a director named Cedric Nicholas Troyan, who was a guy who did visual effects on the original movie. And so he got to step up to the director's chair and make the movie. I will say that I think the direction of this movie is fine. It's clearly using the Snow White and the Huntsman movie as a sort of jumping off point and kind of going from there. It looks like it's sort of cut from the same cinematic cloth, so to speak, as that movie. So I think it looks fine. I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad. I think it looks fine too. And I think the effects and everything 
we're good. I think it's pretty solid in terms of special effects and all that. But this movie came out and uh, did not do that well. I think it cost about $130 million and it ended up only making $150 million worldwide. Mm. So it ended up losing like $70 million for the studio. We'll talk about maybe why that is at the end of the podcast. Mm. <laughs> maybe you'll have some ideas. Mm. But let's talk about the movie, shall we? Let's do it. We get uh, opening narration from Liam Neeson. Could you tell that was Liam Neeson? I did not know that was Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson will show up for anything. You just offer him some money and he'll show up and do whatever you need him to do. He's got such a great voice. He does have a great voice. So he's a good narrator. Yeah. And he's telling the story of our evil queen, Ravenna, played by Charlize Theron. We don't really go into what happens into Snow White so much, but we get a scene where she's seducing some king or she's playing chess with some king she's just married and she kills him. So it's sort of shorthand to let us know again in case we didn't know that that's sort of her modus operandi. Yep. The big retcon in this is that she has a sister played by Emily Blunt mm -hmm. named Freya. Now, Freya is an actual mythological fairy tale character of like Viking lore, I believe. She is this sort of snow queen from the north. You know, Frozen, that Disney sensation, mm -hmm. that's about her too. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing like this Not movie in the dark, terms of the obviously. story. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different kind of take on it for a kid's movie. Well, this Freya couldn't let it go. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Ravenna wants Freya to step up and start using her magical powers because all the women in their family have magical powers. We've seen... Uh, Ravenna killed the king with some sort of weird inky blackness that she has in her. When they were playing chess, she like did some move with the king or something and she put her hand over the piece and then like, yeah, this like inky black stuff came out and then he was like, then it was like blood or something. He died. It's very unclear as to what her magic power is. Near the end of the movie, she's suddenly going to go all venom and have these like <laughs> black tendrils that shoot out of her and spear her. So venom. Spear people, I mean. They don't ever make it very clear as no. to what the hell her power is. Just evil. But she's frustrated with little sister because little sister doesn't seem to want to be an evil queen like she is. We find out that Freya is in love with some noble young man who's supposed to marry somebody else, I guess, and they're going to run away together. That's right. But then we find out that Freya is already pregnant with his child. We find out because Ravenna, as she and Freya are sitting across from each other, Ravenna says, oh, you're carrying his child. And then Freya like kind of gasps and Ravenna says, oh, you didn't know. And Freya says, well, we're going to be together and he loves me and blah, blah, blah. And Ravenna is like, no, he's going to abandon you and your daughter. And that's what happens or so we think. Mm -hmm. Freya gets a note supposedly from her lover and they're going to meet and run off together. So she goes outside and is like waiting to meet him, but then she sees there's like a fire up in the one of the towers or something. Right. So she runs back in and it's total chaos going on. 
and she runs into the room and the crib is completely charred that the baby had been in. And he's there and he's like, I'm sorry, I had to do it or something like that. And also Ravenna is there too. Well, I guess he just did what she said he was going to do and betrayed her. Mm -hmm. But this brings out Freya's power. And now suddenly she's got this like Mr. Freeze kind of ice power where she can freeze everything. She screams like, no, and the room freezes up Mm -hmm. and he gets frozen and shatters into Mm -hmm. a million pieces. And she fucks off to the north to form her own kingdom and does the really nice thing of having her minions round up children, snatching them right out of the bosom of their parents, and they're going to form her army of huntsmen's. A few children in particular are focused upon. One is a little boy who I think is well cast. Mm -hmm. He looks like he's going to grow into Chris Hemsworth, which he does. And there's like a redheaded girl who for a second I thought it might have been Sadie Sink from Stranger Things, but I don't think it's her. She just looks similar to her. I think she would have been too young. Yeah. And so she's going to grow up to be the Huntsman's lost love. The Huntsman's name is Eric and the lost love is named Sarah. And then there's this other black kid who's going to be a minor character, Mm -hmm. but he's sort of focused on. And yeah, so Freya brings them all into her chamber and is like telling them that they're going to be her army and that they should never love anyone Mm -hmm. because love is going to destroy them. Yep which is a big theme of this movie. You're getting that message, which is the, a really strong message throughout the film, as you're also getting love conquers all. Yes. Was it working for you? Was it working for me? I mean, I guess. I mean, because she's so bitter because of what had happened to her because she ha- was in love. And her love betrayed her like so terribly. Not only was he just not going to be with her, Burned up her daughter. That's pretty bad, yeah. That's like, that's really bad. Yeah, so we get a training montage of these huntsmen, and it's pretty clear that um, the Eric and Sarah characters are sort of falling for each other as the years pass by. She's really good with, like, a stick and her bow and arrow. She shoots and hits the target every time. I never miss is sort of her line. And it's true. She doesn't. And he gets really good with his axes Mm -hmm. and stuff. And they grow up into the good-looking actors, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Jessica Chastain. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Jessica Chastain? I like Jessica Chastain. I was surprised that she was in this role. Why is that? I don't know. It's just something... I don't see her doing a lot of these type of movies. Like, I don't feel like she does a lot of fantasy epic type things. Like, she's more in, like, based in reality or maybe some sci-fi, but not not like this. Yeah, I know what you mean. I do think Jessica Chastain has a desire to be seen as something of an action heroine. She's taken a bunch of roles, especially lately, where she's been like a CIA operative mm-hmm. or something, and it's been sort of like roles that involve like shooting guns and doing action stuff. More physicality. Like she's definitely doing more physical things. Right. And this is very, I mean, it's a fantasy, but it's a very physical role because she's a 
uber badass. Right. She's a real girl boss, just kicking ass all over the place. I think she handles herself pretty well. Yeah. In some of the fight scenes, it seems kind of obvious that there's a stunt double going on and they're maybe cutting around her a bit. But, I mean, she does have a certain intensity sort of to her face, Mm -hmm. a certain hardness that I think works more or less in this sort of setting. I do have to say I have a tough time liking Jessica Chastain. It's not that I don't like her. She's just got a sort of coldness about her that I find weirdly inaccessible. And I've never seen a movie where I was like, God, I just love Jessica Chastain. I, I would agree. I mean, I think she's super talented. I think she's a beautiful woman as well. Um, and she's always doing what needs to be done in the role. But I've never been endeared to her. The most endeared I was to her most was most recently was in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Yeah. I feel like that's probably the closest it's gotten for me. Like I really, I really felt for her. I agree with you on that. That role did actually endear me to her, Mm -hmm. but I mean, she was playing an actual real person. So I kind of can't give her all the credit there. No, but she did a hell of a job, but it's not, it's yes, it's not a, a role of her own or a character of her own that she's bringing to life. She's portraying Tammy Faye Baker. I think she's a really, really brilliant actor. I think she's very pretty, Mm -hmm. all of the things that you said. But yeah, there's just something about her. I just haven't ever warmed up to her. I've never been endeared to her, you know, not in Interstellar, not in the It Part 2, you name it. I just can't really love her for whatever reason. And it doesn't really work for me necessarily here in this movie. Although I do feel that she's got some kind of chemistry with Chris Hemsworth. I think so. It more or less works for me. I don't think it's terrible or anything like that. I don't either. I think think they're well suited and it was well cast. They look like characters out of a fairy tale, Mm -hmm. as does Emily Blunt, as does Charlize Theron. So I think on a casting level, it's all pretty good across the board. We just take a moment to talk about Charlize Theron. I just, as soon as she came on screen again, I was just like, God, she's just stunning. She She is is just otherworldly stunning. I do enjoy her in this role. It's sort of a guilty pleasure because she's so hammy. Yes. But in such a fun way. It's so much fun. Like, it's what you want from the Wicked Queen. Right. It's, like, so over the top, but that's what you need from this character. Like, it's 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 perfect. I feel like these two movies came out and everybody just sort of shrugged them off and nobody ever really gave her enough credit for her awesomely hammy Wicked Queen performance. And she does the same performance Mm -hmm. in both movies. I've watched the original not too long ago, and it's like she remembers this character and plays it exactly the same in both movies. Totally over the top evil in that like, like when she gets really Mm -hmm. angry and stuff. And I don't know. I think she's an awesome evil queen in Snow White. And they're making another Disney Snow White. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be Gal Gadot as the evil queen. I could see Gal Gadot doing this, but it's, I mean, she's not going to be Charlize. Charlize was my original pick for Wonder Woman. So there's some irony in that. Mm. I mean, put her in a brunette wig and Charlize would have been great. She would have been a great Wonder Woman. Anyway, I digress. We love Charlize. Boy, do we. And she is a lot of fun in this movie, although she really only bookends it. She's really only the beginning and the end. I was a little bummed about that in the beginning. I was like, I felt like I was really, I felt like it was, uh, 
Daniel Craig the other day in the Golden Compass where I just got a glimpse of Craig and then he was gone. And I was like, really? Like, they, they're going to give me some Charlize and then that's it? That's all we get? Because I know she dies in yeah. the uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. But I was bummed. But I, you know, glad that she came back at the end. Yeah, she comes back for the whole third act. Yeah. So you get your Charlize worth, I feel, more so than your Daniel Craig's worth. Not to go over old wounds. <laughs> so what happens is the Huntsman and Sarah fall in love and we, we see them kissing in the hot springs. So we know that they are going against the Queen's orders and falling in love. And we also know that the Queen has this like cool ice owl that she spies on people with. And she's got this like mask that she puts on and she can see through its eyes, which I thought was a cool detail. And it was really cool. It reminded me of like an upgraded version of the owl that's in Clash of the Titans. Bubo. <laughs> you know him by name? I sure do. I love you. We should also mention in that hot, steamy, hot springs love scene they ma- they get married that's right jessica chastain's character has this like medallion that we see when she's a little girl when she's brought there when they're all taken from their families that she has this medallion so she's had it her entire existence there growing up she puts that around chris hemsworth's neck and it's like you know we're married now and that necklace is going to play a significant mm-hmm. role in a couple of scenes in the movie that's right But they're trying to sneak off and start their life together, but uh, Freya finds out and she confronts them outside of the ice palace and she has her huntsmen attack them and so they have to fight off these huntsmen so we get an action scene. But it ends with her creating an ice wall that separates them. So they both can only see each other through the ice wall Mm -hmm. and... In this scene, we see from his point of view, and he sees her get killed by the black dude who was also one of the huntsmen. And then she's like bleeding all over the ice, and he's like punching the ice and bloodying his knuckles, and he can't break it, and she's like dying right in front of him. And then we cut to Freya saying, get him out of my sight. And they, like, literally, like, toss him off into the ocean. It was a river. Whatever. He gets tossed off a cliff into a river. And then he floats down the river, and then the whole first movie, Snow White and the Huntsman, happens. That's right. So, interestingly, this is not really a prequel. It's a sequel, but it's got kind of a prequel in the beginning. Oh, you said it's a prequel and a sequel, Sebi. It's both. It's both, yes. But I think that's kind of cool. That's fine. Yeah, we get to know, like, what happened to the Huntsman before we meet him in Snow White and the Huntsman. Right. And in Snow White and the Huntsman, he's got this tragic backstory that his wife was killed. Mm -hmm. So this is all coming from that movie. This is all filling in details from that movie. So now we cut to, what, seven years later. It's after the events of Snow White and the Huntsman. And now Snow White is queen of the kingdom. And he's just kind of off on his own, doing his own thing. And her prince, played by Sam Calvin, shows up. And this is when we get one of those moments where we see Snow White from behind, mm-hmm. not played by not Kristen K-2. Stewart, where he's talking about the mirror. Uh-huh. And he's like, she doesn't want the mirror around because it's like driving her kind of crazy. Right. Which we're going to later find out is 
because Ravenna put her evil soul into the mirror. Yes. In the first movie, we see the mirror has this like weird like spirit that comes out of it. This gold spirit. Right. And that's going to show up later in this movie. I would be kind of like, get the mirror out of here. Like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, Like, why would you want to have this creepy mirror around? We know, like, this mirror is bad news. Like, nothing good is going to come from this mirror. Like, you don't want it in your castle. Get rid of that thing. No. Even if you're not convinced that Ravenna's evil soul has gone into it, it's still bad news. It's bad news. Like, get that mirror out of here. I would never have that. You know, I wouldn't allow that mirror to be in the castle. You definitely would would not. not. I'd probably want to keep it. You would. Because you'd be like, it's cool, it's creepy. And I'm like, no, it's cursed. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if you can explain this to me. Probably can't. So she doesn't want it in the castle, right? But yet Sam Calvin's like, hey, can you go get the mirror? Or is he saying go take the mirror away? Like what? Did, what's going on with the I mirror? I have no idea like what happened with the mirror and how the goblins got it. It's a weird plot contrivance because, you know, the mirror is now going to become the, the MacGuffin of right. the movie. Right, But the whole point is to get rid of it. Right. So it's gone and it's with the goblins. So what are we doing? Why, why do we want it back? I don't understand. I thought I missed something, but I feel like it was just like such a poor way to kind of tie in this prince and Snow White, like yeah. into this, like really trying to like make this connection. Yeah, that's the worst part of the movie. I think is I think the so too. Sweaty way they try to connect it to Snow White and the Huntsman. Just like forget about all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, they want to use the magic mirror to bring back Ravenna, I guess. Yeah, but the magic mirror can still be around, but it doesn't have anything to do with Snow White. Well, they were sending it away in some sort of like right, caravan. caravan. And that's when the goblins got it. Right. But where were they sending it? Right. That's the thing that I was confused about because Sam Calvin comes to Chris Hemsworth and is like, hey, can you go get the mirror? Well, you already had the mirror. But you already had the mirror and you're sending it away. Like, why wouldn't you have you just destroyed the mirror? Yeah, it's a super clunky, clumsy, MacGuffin-y, we're trying to make this movie tie into Snow White and the Huntsman in the worst possible way. Stop trying to make Snow White and the Huntsman happen. We know it <laughs> happened. Like, we know. That's why we're here. Nobody's here who didn't see the fucking original movie. We saw the original movie and we didn't see this thing in the theater. I don't remember this at all. But one thing we do get from Snow White and the Huntsman is we get Nick Frost back as uh, a dwarf. Mm -hmm. And now he's got a new dwarf companion played by an actor named Rob Brydon. Mm -hmm. So in the original Snow White and the Huntsman, Nick Frost was there and he was with a bunch of other famous British actors like Bob Hoskins Mm -hmm. and Ian McShane. And it's funny because there was some controversy with the original because what they do here, and I think they do it really effectively. I think they do as well. I mean, it, it's similar to what happens with the Hobbits and Lord of the Rings, right? Well, the difference between this and the Lord of the Rings is that in the Lord of the Rings, you would see the actors, their whole bodies, mm-hmm. and they would just be shrunk mm-hmm. down and they would use different techniques to make them look small. Right. But in this movie, they're taking the regular sized actors heads and putting them on little people. Mm. So you have their little people bodies, but with normal size actors heads. That's kind of a bummer because little people are not getting work. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as like always having to now have 
famous people do voices for things. Well, I mean, little people are getting work. They're just not being seen. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I understand why there was some controversy and people's feelings were hurt about things and they were upset. However, it is effective. It is. I mean, it looks really good. Right. Like I can't tell most of the time. Mm -mm. Like it's really convincing. You would have thought that since it caused a controversy in the previous movie that they would have done something different and had maybe little people actors in it. The women, I'm not sure about them, but... You know, Rob Ryden's not a little person. Nope. And neither is Nick Frost. And neither is Nick Frost. So they just kept on keeping on with that idea. <laughs> well, I'm glad they brought Nick Frost back. And I like Rob Ryden. So. And I do have to say these two characters are totally enjoyable. Mm-hmm. They're a fun pair. They don't overdo the comedy. No. Like in Willow, there's these mini characters in Willow that just really are awful and get in the way. No, I feel like they know their place in the story. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, they're not there for, I mean, yes, it's comic relief, but you're not laughing at them or whatever. I mean, they they, they kind of bring some levity to certain situations. Yeah. You know, it's fun, but it's not. It's not too much. And they don't make a lot of jokes at their expense in terms of like their height or anything. Not at all. It's more just, they're just humorous. Yes. No, they're just, they're just funny. Uh, They're just kind of, you know, giving each other a hard time. Like in general, all of them are. At one point we end up in like a tavern because of course you're going to end up in a tavern in a medieval fantasy movie. And they're drinking in the tavern and Chris Hemsworth is asking them like, you know, are you guys married or whatever? And they're like, oh, hell no. Have you ever seen dwarf women? Yeah. Dwarf women are hideous looking or whatever. And he's like, well, then how do dwarf, how do dwarf men get made? And they're joking like with a lot of ale, ale or whatever. And so we're setting up this idea that these guys don't want anything to do with dwarf women, which that will be put to the test in a few scenes later. But then what happens is these huntsmen come into the tavern who happen to be Freya's men and they recognize Eric. And so we get a, you know, a fight in the tavern and then a fight outside. And it looks like they're going to, I don't know, kill Eric Mm -hmm. or bring him back to Freya or something. But then this mysterious hooded figure comes out of the night and kicks all of their asses. And the hooded figure rips off their hood and we see that it is Sarah. She is not dead, but she is alive. I was surprised. I can't believe you were surprised. We saw her die. We did see her die through the ice wall. Well, now I know that there was a magic ice wall. It was a magic ice wall. You see Freya's like eyes glowing as she's like putting her hand on the ice wall. So, I mean, I kind of figured when I first saw this movie, because I knew Jessica Chastain was in the rest of the movie, <laughs> I figured that it was some sort of illusion. One thing I do like about this, she saves the day and she pulls Chris Hemsworth up off of, out of the mud or whatever. And he's like, oh, he's so happy to see her, but she's not happy to see him. Nope. Because her side of the ice wall, what she saw was him taken off like a coward. Running away. Yes. Yeah, so I, I thought that was good. Yeah, it was a good fairy tale plot machination, you know. Right. Like, How does she get in on the mission to go get the mirror? They don't really give much of an explanation. He tells her what's going on, and they even, like, cut the scene where he explains it. They go off together, and they, I don't know, go hang out in the woods somewhere, and then... 
they cut and then she's like, so where is this magic mirror or whatever? And he's like, you're going to help us? And she's like, well, I'm going to help myself or whatever. Uh-huh. It's really thin. Yeah. I thought I maybe had missed something there, but no. Nope. However, though, we do find out later that there is a reason why she's Yeah, we do. There's it. so many twists in this film. Her reason that she gives at that moment is so flimsy that they cut it out. Yeah, I can see it's a super flimsy, like, why is she going along with them? And I get why they cut that out because it is just so flimsy. She's just like, let's go get the mirror. But I think we're to, as an audience, look at it as Chris Hemsworth is so jazzed that she's still alive and she's pissed at him, but he doesn't care. He's just like, she's alive. You know, like, let's, he just wants to be around her in any capacity. And this is the point where they're back on the journey and they're off in the woods and they get caught in a snare trap. Well, first, the Rob Brydon character notices that there's a dwarf snare trap and he sets it off. But then it turns out there's an even bigger dwarf snare trap and they're all caught in one of those hanging nets. Yep. And then we get our two female dwarf characters, one of whom, and I don't remember their names and I don't know the actresses that are playing them. Sorry, ladies. But they're kind of fun. Um, they're super fun. One has got kind of a more punk rocky looking yeah. hairdo, and she's sort of the boss, and she's sort of the hard ass, and she's making fun of the men and all that kind of thing. And then the other one's more sort of sweet and yeah. like the nature girl or whatever. Right. And Nick Frost is going to fall for her, and Rob Brydon is going to fall for the harder one. But before we get there, there's a lot of like back and forth between the female and male dwarves. Yeah. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it either. I didn't think it was too much. I I thought it was sweet, like the Nick Frost and the more um, nature-y, hippie dwarf gal. And she's just, you know, going through all the flowers and what they can do. And then like he picks a flower and he's like, what about this one? She's like, oh, that's just a flower. It's a very pretty one. He's like, it is a pretty one. And they're just, you know, it's just a, it's a sweet. They're just, you can tell they're getting to like one another. It's the sort of thing that might annoy me in another movie, but because I think these actors are charming and British, I'm yeah. kind of a sucker for British people. Same. If these were Americans, I'd probably be like, ugh. But Rolling s- eyes. Since they're charming, cute British people, I don't have a problem with this little side romance that's going on. And I mean, it fits the theme of the movie. Yeah, because it's all about love. Right. And I love Nick Frost. I also love Nick Frost. So the next thing that sort of happens is they track the mirror down. And um, at one point earlier, Chris Hemsworth has found the caravan and everybody's been murdered. And he like picks up a sword and he notices there's like this oil-like blood on it, which I believe is goblin blood. Mm -hmm. So we track the goblins into this like area in the woods and they see the mirrors there, but all the goblins have like murdered each other basically because the mirror has driven them crazy or whatever. And we finally see our first goblin, which is a pretty interesting design, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. It was not what I was expecting at all. These goblins are huge. They're big and they're also simian-esque. 
they are. Yeah, so they're like swinging from trees, and they're they're kind of. I mean, they're kind of scary. They've got like horns too. Horns and also like fangs or something like underbite type fangs going up that way. And I th- they're like sort of spattered and gold, and I think that's supposed to be from the mirror, and it's like driving them crazy or whatever. Yeah. At first, there's only one of them because he's like the last one mm-hmm. left, and so we get this sort of scene where. It's sort of sniffing around them and they're all trying to sort of hold still or whatever, but then it attacks and there's a fight. And they do manage to get the mirror, but then more goblins show up and we get the scene at this bridge where like Chris Hemsworth cuts the bridge once the rest of the party is across the chasm or whatever. I mean, it's really just like a river, so I don't know why it was even that big of a deal. But he's fighting off these goblins and it looks like he's going to lose because there's too many of them. And then Jessica Chastain, Sarah, gets uh, her bow and arrow and she lights some goblin blood or whatever on fire because it's flammable. Mm -hmm. It seems to be like pitch or something. And she shoots it at the goblins and they all explode, I guess, because their blood is all flammable. And it looks like Chris Hemsworth is dead, but he's not. He's not. He emerges on the other side of the bridge and then she kisses him and she's got feelings for him again. And everybody's happy, but then they're not because... Freya and her whole army show up. How did they know where to find them? Because it's more betrayal. It's all about the betrayal and the twists. It turns out, can you believe it, that Sarah was working for Freya all along. She said she had escaped from her dungeon, but she had not. Freya actually mended her broken heart, she said, and sent her on this mission. And then she orders uh, Sarah to kill uh, Eric And so Sarah shoots an arrow right at his heart, and it looks like that she kills him. But she doesn't because Eric has never stopped wearing that medallion she gave him. And so she knew that because she had seen it earlier, and she knew he was wearing it. So she never misses. So she shot right where the medallion was. And it didn't pierce his heart. That's right. So, you know, up to this point, I'm feeling like this movie's fine. Like, I'm not having any really major problems with it other than its lame connections to Snow White and the Huntsman. I was enjoying the ride, but yeah, I, I that was the only problems that I could see were, yes, trying to really connect, have this connectivity to the the original film. It, you know, could have gone and, and done like a, like a recap if they wanted to, you yeah. know, like with even footage from the old film or whatever, not the old film, but the previous film, and just called it a day and been done with it. Like this trying to connect with the prince and the mirror and why Snow White doesn't want the mirror around and all of that. It just... It just didn't need to be there. Yeah, and unfortunately now in the third act, we're going to get back to that sort of thing because Freya brings the mirror back to her ice castle and she asks the mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And Ravenna steps out of the mirror. And she's stunning. She is stunning. She's more stunning than ever. She's wearing a nice gold dress and everything. Her makeup is so good throughout this. Like it's so wonderfully and sparkly and gold and just amazing. So yeah, she's comes out and, and Freya's like, I thought you were dead. And she's like, 
I was, you know, I'm not sure what I am now, like, but I'm not, you know, I'm not dead, but I'm not alive. Like, she doesn't really know what she is, but she's here. She's caught in between death and life or something like that. But she immediately is like, okay, well, I'm taking over your kingdom. Yeah, pretty much. She's sort of paying lip service to Freya, like, oh, you're still the queen. Mm -hmm. But she's like, all right, well, now we're going to take my... I mean, your men and we're going to invade Snow White's kingdom and get it back because Freya has been sort of wanting to branch out and conquer the rest of the kingdom. She's managed to conquer all of the North. We do have one little scene where she's talking to the black dude and he's like, well, you've conquered the whole North. Aren't we good or whatever? And she's like, no, I want more. Mm -hmm. So Ravenna's sort of getting her to do what she wants, but it's kind of a little fuzzy. Either way, Freya's kind of starting to realize that, uh, you know, maybe her sister being back in the picture isn't uh, the greatest thing in the world. Well, and then shortly thereafter, everybody gets to the, the ice castle because Freya has frozen Nick Frost and the other sweet little hippie dwarf gal. Yes. So they've been taken away and... Because Sarah shot Eric in the medallion, he knows that she really loves him. Yes. So he's like, we have to go rescue her. So that's the whole, like the rest of the crew, which is Rob Brydon and the other kind of punk rock, cute little dwarf girl and Eric. Yeah. And we get this like action scene where Chris Hemsworth is like trying to get in through the top of the castle. So he's like, you know, falling all over the roof or whatever you know, he's climbing up the roofs with his axes and all this sort of nonsense. And then the dwarves are trying to sneak in with like hoods, but they get right. caught or whatever. Well, they're trying to like merge in with the kids. She's continuing to steal children. Like yes. that never stopped. So there's like another bunch of kids coming in to, to be part of this army. And so these dwarf couple are like, yeah, they just try to blend in with the kids and it doesn't work. What ends up happening is like Freya is sort of addressing everybody in the main throne room or whatever and, you know, telling them that they're going to go invade the southern lands or whatever. And then Eric is hiding up in the wings with a crossbow and he shoots the crossbow bolt at the Snow Queen. But then Ravenna appears and like grabs the bolt before it hits Freya And then we just get this whole sort of action scene where they keep switching loyalties with everybody. Like Chris Hemsworth is captured and brought before them. And then we find out that Sarah really does love him and yada, yada, yada. Right. We get, we get Shirley Saron saying like, they're in love. You can smell it all over the place. Like, you know, I'm talking about Sarah and Eric. It's basically just this kind of long climactic scene in which, you know, all these different sort of allegiances are, sort of being turned around or reforged or whatever. It's a lot of stuff going on. It's messy. And honestly, like, it's boring. Like, I don't care. It's too much time at this this spot with all of this happening. Right. It feels like the writers are trying to cram in every major sort of like character turn that needs to happen, but it's all happening like in the same place because, 
you know, we've got to find out that Sarah really still loves Eric and didn't want to betray him. And then they're going to get executed. And then the black dude is going to do it. But then he doesn't do it because he's going to be on their side because they're in love and he like breaks their chains. Right. Instead of chopping their necks, he like takes his sword and cuts the shackles. And then also we're going to find out that this is the big, you know, reveal that Ravenna tells Freya that she was found out from the mirror that she wasn't going to be the fairest of them all anymore because Freya had a daughter and she was going to be the fairest of them all. So that was all Ravenna's doing to kill the daughter. Yep. I liked that. I, t- I think that was like the most important reveal. Like that yes. was, you know, the most satisfying is like the ultimate betrayal was her sister. Yes. Uh, I think that's very fairy tale esque and great. And that, that was good writing. There's just a lot of other stuff that also has yeah. to happen and it just feels labored. It's just too much. But, you know, at one point, Freya puts up like an ice wall. And so the characters have to like climb up the ice wall while she's fighting her sister. Right. Well, she puts the ice wall up to protect them. Right. Because now she's like, just wants to battle with her sister. Right. And uh, Ravenna's like killing everybody with her venom Her venom tentacles. Yeah. So she puts that up to protect them from the venom spikes. Yeah. And so eventually Ravenna spears Freya with a venom spike Mm -hmm. and it looks like she's going to die, Freya. So she's like on the ground with like a hole in her Mm -hmm. heart or whatever. And the huntsman comes in and is fighting uh, Ravenna one-on-one. So we get a Hemsworth-Theron fight, which is kind of fun, Mm -hmm. just a fun little action scene. But how is he going to beat her because she's this powerful sorceress or whatever? The last bit of life she has, Freya, like, freezes the mirror. And so he can use his axe to hit the mirror, which then causes uh, Ravenna to break apart into pieces because she's part of the mirror. So great. Just hammy, hammy, hammy to the end, like just screaming in agony. And like she turns, yeah, she breaks into pieces of gold. And then we just get her head with like her screaming in agony, like frozen. It's like kind of like Medusa's head, you know, like when it gets cut off. it's, It's, it's pretty great. You know, classic fairy tale kind of stuff. Sort of a little Freddy Krueger-ish, you know. Yeah. Freddy's died in similar ways before. Yes. And so, yeah, that's the end of the evil queens. Now everybody gets to be freed and there's a bunch of people who are coupled together and in love. So much kissing and love happening. There's a lot of kissing and love. Both the pairs of dwarves get together and Eric and Sarah are back together and... Love saves the day. Love conquers all. Well, there is a line at one point where the evil queen is like, what do you think love conquers all or whatever to the huntsman? And he's like, no, but it'll conquer you. Oh. So that was a real zinger. And then, yeah, when we we basically just cut to credits and then we did find that there was like this mid-credits scene of just, again, not K-Stu. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, that was it. It was just, like, another shot of her from behind. Well, no, and then this golden bird appears at her windowsill or whatever. She's standing on a balcony, and a golden bird flies onto the balcony. I think we're to assume... Assume it's part of the mirror? Yes. Okay. I think that's what's going on there. Oh, God, they're really setting up part three. Yeah, which is never (laughs) Never going to happen. happen. 
because this movie bombed. So why do you think it failed? As we've discussed, I think it's well made. I think it's well acted. I thought it was well cast. There's just stuff that like just didn't need to be there. It just it got just messy. The end is just there's too much going on there. Like, I don't know if people needed to know more about what's going on with the Huntsman. And if they did, they probably still wanted to have some Snow White in there. And the fact that she's not there at all, I don't know if the Huntsman's enough to to carry it on his own, even though Chris Hemsworth is great. I mean, the, the, like I said, the cast is great and it's, it's a, a, a fun adventure. However, if you're like a diehard Snow White and the Huntsman fan, this is not going to scratch your itch. I think you make some really good points there. I think a couple of things are going on here that attributed to this not doing well. I think they underestimated how popular Kristen Stewart is, Mm -hmm. especially at the time when the first movie came out. I don't know if she had been in this, if it would have hit that big, because I think that her sort of fame had diminished at that point. This came out in 2016. So we're talking four years later. Yeah. Okay. So there's a bunch of things going on here. One, they don't have the main star of the first movie. And yeah, she's not as popular as she maybe was in 2012, but she still would have brought something to the promotion of this movie. You know, it would have been a thing. Oh, like, okay, so they're getting the band back together. Mm -hmm. Oh, we all kind of liked that Snow White movie, so Mm -hmm. let's go see this new one. I mean, I think the movie is unfortunately somewhat mediocre. It's not bad, but it's not great. So it's sort of existing in this place where... Like, it's not good enough so that it can overcome the loss of the star of the original. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, well, this one's going to blow your mind. No, it's kind of more of the same. I think you're totally right in the sense of, like, did people really want to know more about the Huntsman character? I think it's overestimating Chris Hemsworth as a star. And we've discussed this already. We discussed this a little bit in our Men in Black International review. And we discussed it a little bit in our Ghostbusters 2016 review. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was the, the himbo. Right. I mean, he's a minor character yeah. in that. But I don't know if Chris Hemsworth is going to be a big star outside of Thor. I think also going back to what you're saying about the timing of this, like people probably would have showed up for K. Stu still, even though it wasn't really her time for this genre anymore because gotten more space and distance from Twilight. This may actually have fared better for Chris Hemsworth now with I think he's more loved than ever as Thor. Yes. Now, I don't know if he's that's going to translate into other non-fantasy roles or non-superhero roles for him, but this is kind of in the same world of Thor. So, had this come out after he had like at least like Ragnarok or, you know, Love and Thunder whatever, like if it would have been more around this time, there may have been more of a draw. Once that Ghostbusters came out and then Ragnarok especially, like he kind of changed his movie star persona into being somebody a little bit more funny. Yes. And he's not really funny in this movie. No. 
He's charming. Right, but he's not funny. He's not the comic relief. No, Other characters no. are. Nick Frost and Rob Brydon and the girls are the comic relief. Right. This was before people really realized that, oh, comedy is a real strong suit of his. He has got great comedic timing. Right. I mean, he's obviously this like tall, handsome, leading man guy. So of course you're going to put him in action roles. He did a Netflix movie called Extraction where he plays like a soldier or whatever that did well for Netflix. So he kind of has had a little success in another arena outside of Thor, but like that's it. Like everything else he's been in that's been a big movie that wasn't Thor has not done well. Mm. Like In the Heart of the Sea was like this Moby Dick movie by Ron Howard that bombed, which maybe we'll have to talk about one day. Well, you'd love to talk about the sea. I would. So yeah, I just think that Chris Hemsworth only really works in certain things. And I mean, he was funny in Men in Black International, but that bombed. I just don't think he's a really bankable star. I mean, maybe he is now, but I don't know. Every time he tries to step outside of Thor, it doesn't really work. But he's got Thor, so he's doing all right. Oh, yeah, he's fine. I'm not (laughs) worried about the guy. No, but I'm just like, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, yes, you're not going to have lightning strike twice, Thor. He's the god of thunder. Maybe lightning too. But there's lightning in there. Yeah. He steals Zeus's lightning rod. Spoiler alert. When he uses his hammer, lightning comes down and whatever. Anyway, just saying. I mean, there's still time for Chris Hemsworth. But it hasn't worked. I I agree with you. It hasn't worked thus far. And I mean, nobody else in this movie is a real draw either. I mean, if they thought that Jessica Chastain was going to bring in those K-Stew fans, like, think again. It's a whole different scene. She's another one who just keeps making bomb after bomb, like that 355 movie or whatever that she was playing like a super spy. That tanked. Sorry, Jessica Chastain. We just don't think of you that way. You're just not really an action hero. Oh, well. Amazing dramatic actress. Yes, well-respected actress who is constantly getting nominated for awards and All over the place. Can't have it all sometimes. It just doesn't work. But Charlize, like why, why? I mean, everybody, who doesn't love Charlize Theron? Again, though, she's not like the kind of person that brings in butts to seats. I think everybody's always happy to see her. And like you put her in like an ensemble movie, she's always Fine, but welcome. Then, like, but then you have Atomic Blonde, which... Right, didn't do well. Such a bummer. So good. I feel like there's a formula for actors that it doesn't always work. Like you can get the biggest actor in the world and it doesn't guarantee that they're going to bring people into the theaters, even Tom Cruise. I mean, right now he's riding high with Top Gun Maverick and the Mission Impossible movies. But like before that, he wasn't bringing in giant numbers or anything like that. And he's been a star forever. Yep. I just don't think it really works that way anymore. Yeah, it's hard. It has to be the right thing. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how big of a star. If it's not the right vehicle with the right star, it's just not really going to bring people in. Well, especially nowadays too, because people are, I think, more particular about what they're going to go see in the theater. And look, can we just also, just for a second, like this title is too much. It's like, terrible. It's so like, it's getting me confused with Captain America, Winter Soldier or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Like yeah. completely different films, but it just kind of sounds the same. You right. know what I mean? Like I, I, I could easily, I know I would get these confused. I'd be like, is that the one with Bucky? And to your point, it's also like a branding mistake because- yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the first movie was called Snow White and the Huntsman, but the only thing anybody remembers was Snow White. Right. Nobody remembers and the Huntsman. No. So to then be like, Huntsman, Winter's War, huh? Like, not only is it hard to say. It just is a, like garbage. Nobody's but yeah, but- thinking, oh, Huntsman. Nobody's like, oh, that Huntsman brand. It's like a ketchup or something. Right? It's not. No, this was that was not well thought out. Bad branding. Bad branding. I guess they felt they couldn't slap Snow White on the title because she's not in the movie. So fair enough, but still. <laughs> yeah, if they could have, they would have. I'm sure like the marketing people were like just pulling their hair out, being like, we can't market it like no, this. It took so long. Trust me, I know I've been in those meetings to come up with this title. <laughs> yeah. Like there was like, you should have seen what they had before this. They probably were hoping that the Frozen crowd would come out just because it looked sort of like Frozen live action or something. Let it go. They should have let it go. Huntsman, let it go. All right, well, I'm going to go ask the mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And it might just be Nick Frost. He is the fairest. You're the fairest, dear. Oh, Sebby. That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon. (laughs) 